Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Politics in the Pulpit, a lecturally-based preaching resource designed to ask those provocative questions of whether and how politics should appear in our preaching this week. My name is Beth Allison Glenny and I'm a Baptist minister and I'm working as the Baptist Union's public issues enabler. Each week I'm joined by a guest from a different place or space on the political and pulpit spectrum. Today I'm very pleased to introduce the Reverend Dr. Dan Pratt, who's the founder of the Together Free work. Hopefully he's going to appear on screen. Hi, Dan. Hey, Beth. Good to be with you. Um, thank you so much for joining us today. Um, politics in the pulpit. I wonder what that means for you. Do you want to tell us a little bit about yourself and, and whether or not you see yourself as kind of a pulpit politician? Yeah, absolutely. Um, yes, so, so politics is absolutely central to <clears throat> the work that I'm engaged with, with the Together Free Foundation. Um, we're a charity um, that was established to help churches and communities respond to local forms of modern slavery and exploitation. Uh, so whether that is labour exploitation in maybe car washes or nail bars or agricultural sector, or it could be sexual exploitation or even domestic servitude or forced criminality. Um, so what we're trying to do is promote slavery-free communities. And so we're helping resource churches and communities into doing that. So politics is very much at the centre of what I'm engaged with. Um, we work with a huge amount of partners um, and do a lot of work with local councils as well as law enforcement and also third sector uh, charitable organisations uh, and also faith groups. Um, so, so yes, it, it, it's central um, to, to what we are and, and also the, the ministry that I'm engaged with as an anti-slavery coordinator. Now, Dan, this is probably the point we should admit that we know each other um, because we were at college together. Um, we, were. we were. Bit of a shout out for Regent's Park there. Um, yeah. <laughs> we, um, so I know that you came into this work because of um, your work locally in church planting. And do you want to tell us, um, I don't know how much you're free to tell us about a bit about how that kind of, how you got kind of more political, more focused in the work that you were doing from your, from your work doing local church ministry? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, so, so yes, while we were both at Regent's Park College, um, I was also engaged in pioneering a new church, which uh, became known as 57 West. It was a church that was rooted among the rough sleeping and homeless community of South End here in Essex. And um, it was really through encountering people who um, had no homes, no employment opportunities, and often no support networks. Um, that we heard stories of exploitation. Um, and so sometimes people would come to places where these vulnerable people would congregate, congregate such as soup kitchens or, uh, or churches and try and recruit them often for labor. So they'd be offered work and accommodation and wages. Um, and so of course it's a, an appealing, uh, attractive option, you know, if you've got nothing and then someone offers you all these things. But then um, often the, these offers were accepted and they would go and work for very long hours, maybe doing uh, paving people's driveways, tarmacking, uh, working within fields or agriculture. Um, but then they received very little pay or no pay at all. And when they tried to leave that situation, they uh, ended up uh, being threatened or coerced or controlled. Um, and the worst case that I came across was an individual who had, he'd escaped from his exploiters, but he had worked for them for 20 years, wow. um, doing labor just, just for hours and hours a day, being mistreated and treated horrendously. 
Um, and so as a church community, we began to think, well, how do we um, respond to this? And uh, we realized it wasn't just one or two individuals, actually this was happening quite frequently. Um, and so we set up a localized anti-slavery partnership called the South End Against Modern Slavery Partnership. Uh, and so my role now is to coordinate that and to try and escalate community responses uh, to protect the most vulnerable uh, and to really think about safeguarding and, and how we identify potential victims of slavery. Thank you. I think um, I think a, a lot of us who end up in roles that are about kind of the politics side of faith usually come with those pastoral stories at the heart of us, don't we? And I think um, one of the things I'm really hoping that we brings out over the next few weeks of these politics in the pulpit, politics in the pulpit podcast. Um, that's a that is a tongue twister, isn't there? That's not one to say in the pulpit. Um, is it really trying to address this idea that the kind of the human stories that drive us to thinking we actually need to think about these things on kind of bigger bigger scales than perhaps. Um, just doing kind of one-on-one -on -one work as well that we we want to change the world so more people don't get hurt and more people are kept safe yeah absolutely um i don't know if there's anything else do you i'm thinking about kind of preaching this week and uh, kind of sort of moving into kind of thinking about what what kind of political questions might or kind of justice issues might be in people's heads as they begin to prepare this week and um, is there anything from kind of the work that you do that's on your radar that you kind of would would highlight or any resources you'd want to point people to? Yeah, so, so I, I think, um, you know, with, with the work that, that I'm engaged with, it's very much trying to engage with political affairs relating to issues of injustice. Um, so, so, of course, relating to modern slavery and human trafficking. Um, what's remarkable is there's some really good organisations out there who are engaged in um, either resourcing groups or churches to uh, engage with the issue. Um, or, or even doing frontline work as well. Um, so a few recommendations of resources um, relating to those would, would be organisations like Stop the Traffic, uh, you've also got Hope for Justice, you've got International Justice Mission, the Kluwer Initiative, the Together Free Foundation. And interestingly, all these organisations are from Christian faith backgrounds. Mm -hmm. And so you've got a huge resource there in terms of Christians getting involved in the political sphere. And, and one thing I was thinking about, you know, with politics in the pulpit, actually, like politics, it's about the affairs of the city. It's politica, the Greek affairs of the city. So actually, how do we engage as Christians within the affairs of our cities? How do we work towards justice and God's reign and God's kingdom um, within our own context? And, and, you know, surely we should all be engaged in politics. Um, yeah, pulpit politics. <laughs> Preach it. <laughs> no, don't, don't get them started. I, this is reminding me of the evening that we had at the Lamb and the Flag in Oxford. Honestly, we start preaching to one another. I can see this very well. <laughs> I, it could ruin my career overnight. Yeah. <laughs> Lamb and the Flag, I don't know. But obviously, drinking is something that was definitely not alcoholic. So, any Methodist listening in, definitely not alcoholic. Um, um, so, um, each week I ask my JPIT colleagues just for a little bit of a roundup of kind of what we should hold in our minds as we come into the pulpit as kind of political events going on um, and justice issues that we might want to be alert to um, as we prepare. And um, so they say as we're keeping an eye on the world this week, um, just to be aware, there are lots of conversations going on about vaccine rollout and how that can be done justly, both on a global scale, but also um, 
what the appropriate responses are going to be in a world where we will increasingly see most people having a vaccine and some not, and that kind of not all vaccine hesitancy is created equal, and also there being people who will slip through the net, perhaps in fact people in, in the sort of situations that you work with, Dan, um, who, who will slip through the net because they're not registered with GPs and won't be able to get vaccinations, and then not having a, any form of vaccine passport, whatever that might look like, that could lead into some complicated questions, but how do we do just life with people who um, who feel unable for any reason to not have a, a vaccine. So there's that question going on and it's beginning to really kind of come out in kind of opinion columns, just to be aware that, that that's there. We might want to be thinking about that as Christians. Still fair trade fortnight. And uh, appropriately, the budget is also due this Wednesday. So we're recording this on a Monday and by, by Sunday, uh, the budget, the new budget will be out. Um, and there will be um, commentary about that on the JPIP blog I believe and also um, yeah just be aware that 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 will be setting the next economic scene um, as well um, and as part of that our four churches working together our four denominations working together we've um, submitted a short response to the government's consultation on debt relief orders um, alongside Christians Against Poverty um, uh, and so we've been working uh, at kind of policy level because we're care about that those city issues they may, might sound like Westminster to to those of us who don't live in London but actually that you know these are these are people's lives and we've we've been part of that listening and working alongside Christians Against Poverty and um and really highlight if anybody needs resources on around debt or anything to look at the work of the Reset the Debt campaign that JPIT are part of running um and just flag that to anybody who's um, looking at some of these issues and thinking that this is a week to preach on economic justice for any reason. So I think we'll start to see in the text. Um, so, and then of course, it's still lockdown. It's still COVID and many churches are, are choosing not to meet in the middle of um, in the middle of this pandemic, despite having the freedom to do so and are probably just starting to have that conversation where, where many pastors are having those conversations about kind of, how and when do we open up safely and wisely for everyone and then um, so our prayers go with you and uh, please just keep checking your denominational websites for all that advice and good people are doing lots of good work to help smooth the way so we've had our metaphorical newspapers open in the one hand um so with our bible then in the other as we begin to prepare our sermons this week um we've got three passages uh we've got one from Exodus, which is the Ten Commandments, so one we might be fairly familiar with, on at least on a surface level. Uh, and then we've got one from, uh, we've jumped to the Gospel of John from uh, in the lecturing this week, uh, which Jesus uh, turning the money, um, cleansing the temple is the is the line that's used, which I think is an interesting phrase, but turning um, the money, the, blah, 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 the temples over, the tables over in the temple. I've got some words in there somewhere. And then the last one is um, also we've got um, uh, Corinthians, uh, Christ, the power and the wisdom of God, uh, just lurking there as our sec as our second reading uh, alongside the gospel reading and the first reading. So, so these are our readings this week, Dan. I know you've had a bit of a chance to have a look at them. I wonder if there's a particular passage or a particular theme that really jumps out for you that you'd like us to turn to first. Yeah, so so I was looking at all three of these passages, and and I guess the the overall arching narrative that that kind of jumps out immediately at me is about God's salvific plan, which is is being established. So it's a firstly in Exodus twenty, we've got the children of Israel um, who were in slavery, and and yet God says, actually, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. 
and you shall have no other gods before me. Um, and then there's the sense of actually the, the whole of the, the biblical narrative um, going through the Old Testament and then also culminating in, in um, Jesus coming to earth. There's this sense of actually God's salvific plan of bringing us all out of oppression, all out of bondage, all out of situations of injustice. Um, and so within each of those three texts, there are those elements and the sense of even in 1 Corinthians of, of actually it's, it's the cross of Christ that brings salvation, that is the wisdom of God, but foolishness for, for others. Um, so, so really, I think out of the three passages, um, it, it was really Jesus cleansing the temple um, that I would probably choose to preach on and, and maybe pull out a, a couple of other verses from the other passages. Uh, as well. Um, the, the thing that I really appreciated about um, the, the John's Gospel passage um, is it was also um, approaching Passover. So you've got this sense of uh, remembering when the Jews, um, yeah, when, when they were held captive in slavery effectively and God brought them out of Egypt. And so there's that connection with the uh, Exodus passage there as well. And, and of course, as part of those celebrations, they lasted for seven days uh, and often sacrifices were made. Um, and, and we know, you know, according to Levitical law, often two doves or pigeons were required to be offered a sacrifice. Um, and yet what Jesus was protesting against was actually the Jewish center for worship was being used for economic purposes. It was being used to create profit for those who were selling. So, so anyone who wanted to come into the temple and um, to, to offer a sacrifice, um, whether it was the pigeons or the doves or, or even the lamb, then, then actually they would pay exorbitant amounts to be able to do that. And, and of course, economically, that just can't work for everybody. So already you've got a system of exclusion and inclusion within that passage. And so it excludes all those who are on the margins of society, perhaps at the bottom of the economic ladder. Um, and, you know, with the church planting that I did with the Rough Sleepers, I was thinking about this in that, you, you know, often our structures um, within churches or, you know, even societal structures, it marginalizes those very much who aren't within the main economic system. Um, and often people don't feel comfortable accessing those structures because of that marginality. And, and so actually Jesus is responding with zeal. Um, that there's this um, sense of his response is, is one that is zealous. Um, and and he's, he's very much, you know, kind of protesting against this. Um, and, and actually, you know, he's saying, you know, the temple of worship, it needs to be one of equality, it needs to be one of inclusion, it needs to be one where everyone is able to access and have an opportunity to worship God. Um, so so I, I think for, for kicking off, that is kind of where I would find my angle with preaching um, for this text. Thank you. Yes, I was, um, I, I was looking at some commentaries as well and I was really struck by um, the idea that um, even though the temple's this kind of Jewish um, symbol of unity, how it become this symbol of disunity because uh, the temple priests were really scorned for their uh, rubbing alongside the Romans in the way they did. That it wasn't just just them that were benefit, you know, benefiting. That they were they were paying into the 
uh, hands of the Roman occupiers. Um, mm -hmm. So this is Marilyn Salmon, and she's saying that um, under the uh, Roman rule, the priests were not autonomous in their authority, even over their religious matters. Um, and so actually the their Roman coffers were benefiting from the marketplace that supported the sacrificial rites. Um, and that um, so actually really uh, in this season of Passover, we're, we're feeling again these kind of tensions that um, that they're, they're under Roman occupation, that there's something going on here, that even the temple is not quite free. And and there's um, there's Jesus who's who's flinging um, flinging tables about and um, and he's saying, I'm going to be the temple uh, and that this this thing that's corrupt is going to become uh, instead in me this thing that I am. I'm uncorrupt, incorruptible. And um, and I I was really struck by that that Jesus is both priest and temple and and uh, there's something we could play with in some of that I was also really struck by um I always think that Jesus must be really angry in this passage but it I don't think it actually says that um and and I was thinking how much we imply motive so much in in um in when we think about kind of politics or whatever we often talk about you know people's motive is so important and we we don't actually see Jesus's uh motive here it just we see his actions we assume he's angry because i mean who makes a cord a whip out of cords otherwise but like but i just think it's really interesting that we're not actually we're shown his emotion we're not really told his emotion and i i wonder um when we're preaching it often uh one of the conversations that i have is, is kind of we, we always had at college in fact was like doing what the text does not just saying what the text says and i i wonder if there's something about how we might show our emotion as we're preaching this that um in kind of the way it is said um and kind of the actions here isn't it as much as what we're kind of um is what we're doing that really shows our motive not what we're kind of feeling on the inside that seems to be less important mm. yeah. i find that really helpful actually and and you know this this sense of picking up your theme about um you know being under roman occupation again you've got themes of slavery and oppression and um, lack of freedom coming out. Um, and I, I was reading uh, Ched Myers, um, whose who's political commentary, he, he writes about um, how often the, there are two bodies. So there's the, the body politique, which would be the social or political practices of the, the dominant uh, power at that time. Um, but then also the, the physical or the, the self, and, and he says that actually in John 2, Jesus enters into conflict in the temple because of how he places his body within the accepted or expected proprieties of social space, crossing boundaries of power and prestige. So, so you've got these dominant narratives coming through. You've got the narrative of the, the, the temple narrative and also Roman occupation, but but then in contrast, you've got this conflict of Jesus's kingdom being established on earth. And, and actually the, there's this clash, this confrontation. And of, of course, with politics in the pulpit, yeah, you know, this is where it becomes prophetic, that this is where injustice is highlighted and, and an opportunity to speak truth to power becomes evident. But because, you know, in this passage, there's a sense of being physically in this political realm, but it's a contrasting narrative. Uh, and contrasting kind of empire kingdom conflict which is coming out mm, thank you yeah um i wonder if we um we need to touch on any of the others um uh passages just to kind of um if in in case people have been steadfastly determined to preach on the old testament this lent or something um and i just um looking at um 
kind of the I think really appreciating the same sort of cultural context going going on in the life of Corinth as well like um you know that that when Paul is preaching some of this stuff around um the power and wisdom of God it's in a setting where he's just actually fluffed up a bit he's not been a great preacher and and he's kind of working out what that is but in a setting where they've got these huge divisions again between the poorest poor and the richest of the rich and and kind of um he's talking into this world about kind of what power and strength might look like um and uh, and kind of this idea that there's there's enough there is corruption and and vice in this world and and kind of him preaching this um this alternative christ crucified somehow seems to be this thing that looks like a symbol of shame is somehow this you know actually the symbol of salvation yeah. um we also got uh exodus in the background um and uh and it's um I just think it's really interesting is not we think about politics and actually law comes up quite a lot and kind of what's legal. Um, and um, and here we've given a, a set of law, uh, you know, we're given a law, we're given a set of 10 commandments. And, um, and and you said, you mentioned already this this coming out of slavery, that this is the context into which it is brought. And it's um, it does feel very legal when we read it, I think we kind of see it as a sort of to-do list, you know, but actually it starts with this relational gift of I am the Lord your God, doesn't it? It's, I have brought you out. This is my relationship with you. Whatever happens, this is already set in place. I've already this God who's already done all of this for you. But I, I, I wonder how interesting it is that um, these people who've been brought out of slavery, perhaps not quite feeling free yet. Like, um, what does that really mean? What's that really going to look like? That this, these are the questions, you know, they're kind of wandering around. What what is God doing with with us? We're not in. We're not making bricks anymore. Mm. But um, you know. But 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 what? How is God different to Pharaoh? What is this new world going to be? And and what does this really look like? And into this, this is the kind of the relational message that um, that that seems to be kind of part and parcel of what we're getting through Exodus. And it, it brings out um, a new ethical framework, which is based on justice for for the children of Israel. Um, you know, the Collins Dictionary it defines just justice as the as fairness in the way that people are treated. And, and actually, when we think of the Ten Commandments, um, you know, a large proportion of those are about the way that God hopes that the children of Israel will treat each other, um, you know, with respect and dignity. And, and then, of course, it's about how they also respond to God. So, yeah, the, the vertical and horizontal relationships and actually it's an ethical framework of justice, which is being outlived within that. And it's um it's Brueggemann, I think, who says in his book about um the Sabbath, and obviously because the Sabbath comes up in here, and I so I, I open that and he he emphasizes in this post-brick making community, and he says the odd insistence of the God of Sinai is to counter anxious productivity with committed neighborliness. And this idea that um, yeah, six of these laws are about neighborliness, that God is not Pharaoh asking for more and more and more production, but actually God is God is this God who's saying no go and be committed neighbors this is the sort of the sort of people i want you to be and i i think that was really um helpful perhaps a helpful reflection for those of us who are feeling locked down at the moment and actually the work is in our houses or for those who are out as key workers who are never stopping work because they're being very busy and there's there's a lot there i think um pastorally as well as kind of politically you could kind of do something with i think if you were preaching on this and one of the, the comforting verses in that Exodus passage, I, I, I think the whole passage, you know, it can often be a little bit 
feel a bit legalistic. It's lots of do's and don'ts. Um, but actually, verse six is for me the heart of the passage. Actually, um, God is saying, actually, I will show steadfast love to the thousandth generation of those who love and keep my commandments. And, and there's this sense of actually this is the core. It's the relationship, isn't it, between God and his people. And, uh, and this sense of God's faithfulness, even in the midst of having come out of slavery and, and maybe for them questioning where is God in all of this, you know, he's revealing himself to them now. And in lockdown, there's, there's also a sense sometimes, you know, God, where are you? Um, and, and yet it's maybe a gentle reminder um, that, yeah, his steadfast love is, is still present uh, with us. And just after, actually, um, it's I always think it's interesting where we where we start and end our our passages, and um, and just after this, um, it's God is described as being um, the God of of darkness. That God is described as being kind of you know this darkness that Moses goes back to. And I just think, isn't that interesting that we almost always imagine like God in terms of light and kind of hope and the shininess of God and um, and here God is described as darkness and I just thought that was really telling it's just after this passage um, but that actually maybe there's something about in this space of kind of thinking that um, where is God in the gloom <laughs> you know where is God when we can't see our way forward that actually God is darkness as well as light that God creates darkness as well as light that this, this is sort of you know um, there's something about this idea that we've kind of um, yeah, we've got this particular perspective that can maybe kind of God is only only interested in the kind of glowy bits of life and, and work. And yeah, God is there in the bad news stuff too. And God is even present as something that makes things dark at times, which is an interesting thing to think about and try and pick. Um, yeah, yeah, absolutely. We um, we do some work with um, survivors of modern slavery and, and for those who do have um, faith, um, it, it's been really interesting hearing some of their reflections about God being present in the midst of their captivity. Um, and, and one individual in particular who, who has given permission for his story to be shared. Um, but he can think of a couple of occasions where um, he almost died because of the oppressive situations that he was in. And yet he said, I, I felt that there was something bigger than myself that was there watching over me and protecting me. And, and maybe, you know, giving me actually a, an opportunity to have a better day, a better future. Um, so, so this sense of actually uh, in extreme suffering and captivity, physical or perhaps more widely for, for the rest of us, you know, spiritually, emotionally, actually God is present uh, in that darkness, like you're saying. And, and this sense of e even though we are surrounded by darkness, actually, yeah, God is, is there. Um, and nothing can can stop that or take that away from us. I know you've um, done some thinking in the past about Holy Saturday as a kind of way of understanding God's presence. Um, so rather than kind of rushing from the kind of the cross to the kind of the glory of resurrection, the kind of lingering in Holy Saturday is a kind of spiritual metaphor for kind of understanding God's work of redemption as well. Yeah. That's quite important. Absolutely. Yeah, the, the sense of often, um, you know, we're a little bit triumphal, triumphal in, in that, you know, Christ has died. And then actually, you know, we fast forward to the third day, but we, we forget, you know, that, that in-between period of, of, you know, we're waiting for resurrection, but actually it's not quite happening yet. And, and so, yes, we can still experience the trauma of Good Friday and the death and 
you know, the horribleness and destruction of, of what Good Friday brought, and, and also within our own lives. Um, so yes, we still experience trauma, but actually we, we do look forward to that hope that one day uh, we will be healed. And, and that sense of actually, you know, the, the garden, the new Jerusalem is for the healing of the nations. And then the sense of, you know, this eschatological hope um, that, that yes, we, we are saved now, but actually full salvation will be continued to be worked out throughout history in the healing of the nations. Wow, thank you, Dan. It's, um, it's, it's been brilliant to have your wisdom uh, and for you to share your reflections with us this week. There's so much in that, I think. Um, I, yeah, I... I think the way you say it, as well as um, as well as what you say, just shows how much this um, this hope permeates your whole life and your work. So um, thank you for bringing that and bringing bringing all of that deep theological wisdom and um, resourcing to us this week. We're really grateful. Um, Thank you also um, to those of you who've come to join us. Uh, we're talking to each other. We're really uh, we're talking with everybody who's gathered to watch this and to listen to us and uh, so thank you for joining with us and asking that question of whether or how we should preach politics in our pulpits this week. Um, so let's go uh, both into our politics world and into our pulpit worlds uh, with a blessing. May we be anointed with God's spirit as we bring good news to the poor, proclaim release to the captives, Help people to see the world truthfully and let the oppressed go free. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Dan.